Sometimes what makes a film so impactful spiritually isn't that it changes our minds or souls, but it articulates an idea through metaphor that we already believe, but that we couldn't yet put into words. Welcome to a special solo episode of Cinema Credo, Conversations on Film and Faith. I'm Adam Glass. Strength and mercy for me, and from me every day. Life and light will bleed into love. My name is Adam Glass. I grew up in conservative evangelical Christian faith. My father, a pastor, encouraged me to read the Bible every day. The more I did so, the more I read of it, the more I realized that the faith I'd learned didn't make sense as an expression of its own holy book. Now, in a lot of ways, I've heard similar stories of people saying that and then saying, so I left Christianity. I didn't do that. Instead, I stuck around and found a Christianity that was more open, more welcoming, more universal. The movie I picked to discuss is Marvel's Avengers Infinity War. One thing I've loved about doing Cinema Credo so far is the variety of films we've talked about. The grain that grew into this podcast was his desire to talk about films like Robert Bresson's Diary of a Country Priest or Carl Dreyer's Ordet, deep and deeply Christian films, which I love. One early version of this podcast was a plan to have a panel discussion with various clergy and monks and theologians I know, making them watch each of these movies and discuss them with me and each other. That never got off the ground, and maybe there is an audience for it, but... I really like what I've settled on. In deciding to let those I'm talking to define religious significance for themselves, I've opened myself up to a decidedly wider range of films. Religious and philosophical inspiration can come from anywhere, really. Sometimes it's The Last Temptation of Christ, and sometimes it's Death to Smoochie, and sometimes it's Infinity War. So why why this movie? You know... Even if I limited myself in trying to decide on what movie I personally wanted to talk about for an episode to things that came out recently, why not talk about Darren Aronofsky's Mother or Paul Schrader's First Reform? Came out the same years as Infinity War, both deeply religious films meant to be deeply religious films. I mean, First Reformed is really just a remake of Bergen's Winter Light, coded with a bit of Diary of a Country Priest, with the Ordet ending. It's a wonderful movie. It wears its influences on its sleeves proudly. I hope someone else will pick it, and we can talk about it someday. That last bit's true about Mother, too, but Aronofsky wanted Mother to be a critique of organized religion, and in that regard, I honestly feel like Infinity War is a better film, or at least more true for me. And I'm really not even quite certain that the Russos meant it to be. So to explore 
why I think it's the better one. First, we need to talk about the Reverend Thomas Malthus. First publishing in 1798, Malthus put out an essay on the principle of population, proposing that human population grows exponentially, while our ability to produce food grows literally. In other words, Malthus believed that disease, famine, and war were inevitable. Big checks, catastrophes, or divine retributions, really, to keep humans from overpopulating. To avoid the big checks, Malthus suggested smaller ones, abstinence until marriage, and marriage only for those financially and medically sound. Malthus is therefore almost always talked about in terms of ideas of population control, and has been rightfully rebutted for two centuries from people across the political and economic spectrum. But it's in this common understanding of Malthus that we find Thanos, the villain of Infinity War. Thanos is a Malthusian catastrophe. He knows this, and even calls himself inevitable. I am inevitable. Now, when I first read Malthus, the world made more sense to me. Not because I agreed with him, but because I suddenly saw the foundations of the social ideologies I was taught were God-ordained while growing up. The small checks of Malthusianism undergird many of the conservative social policies I was taught. Abstinence until marriage is the only option. The forced Malthusian trap of welfare regulations or immigration bans to try to make sure certain families don't produce children beyond their personal means to care for them. Now this also rolls into racism on that end too, because what makes those certain families ones that we don't want to reproduce, they're non-Western, non-whites. Now following Malthus directly, we also have the belief that humans are so sex crazy that only forced adherence could save us from ourselves. As grown up, I was taught to call this love. I was taught that this is justice. You have had the privilege of being saved by the great titan. You may think this is suffering. No. It is salvation. Indeed, Malthusian ideas are becoming more popular in the mainstream again as we face various crises today. I remember a few years ago when President Obama announced that the U.S. would accept 20,000 refugees from Syria a minuscule number compared to what's actually needed. A person watching the news near me shouted, yeah, well, where are we going to put them? As if that were an end of the argument. And the answer is, of course, literally anywhere. Now, don't worry. I'm not arguing that the Russo brothers made a film in which the main villain is conservative ideology. No, Thanos is bigger than that. He sees no way to save humanity but through the utter destruction of half of everyone. His plan necessitates the murder of his own child. By his view, the elect live on in paradise, and saving everyone is completely out of the question. Infinity War even ends with a rapture. Thanos isn't the conservative ideas I was taught as a child. He's the god I was taught to worship, the divine embodiment of those ideas. Now, interestingly, I'm not the only one to read the film this way, even though I may be the only one to read it this way positively. Spencer Smith is a YouTuber with a video called The Dirty Little Secret About Marvel Movies, 
In it, he argues that Infinity War is the Christian scripture's book of revelation told from the devil's point of view, therefore arguing that Thanos represents the return to Jesus and the heroes are the satanic masses warring against Christ at Armageddon. This, of course, is why they lose. The end of this reading of Revelation, after all, is as inevitable as Malthus's wars and famine. Marcel Brown goes an interesting step further in the conservative Catholic magazine Crisis, writing in his article, All is not good in the Marvel Universe of Superheroes, that Thanos, derived from the Greek Thanatos, meaning death, repeatedly has his name mispronounced by the heroes of the film. Brown says they constantly drop the N, calling the villain Theos, or Theos, again, from the Greek, literally calling him God. Indeed, conservative Christian critiques of this film have a variable yarn web of connections, pointing out that the Russos corrupt the Genesis creation story by hiding Thanos' promise to rest after his work of destruction is done, and that Thanos introduces himself in the film with declaring himself, I am. Destiny arrives all the same. And now it's here. Or should I say, I am. A phrase attributed to God and Jesus in the Christian scriptures. Now, of course, in recognizing that the villain of the film is their Christ, these conservative commentators fall back on the heroes being their antichrist. But that's not entirely true. While the Avengers are certainly fighting against Thanos, hoping against hope to kill God and save humanity, they never actually bother to rebut Thanos' Malthusian ideology. Of course, this can be an aspect of a different problem with Marvel movies, namely that they rarely try to ideologically defeat the bad guys. In fact, narratively, the villains often have a point, if they aren't 100% in the right to begin with. Killmonger's correct that Wakanda shouldn't hoard its resources, something that even Black Panther recognizes after murdering him. No more is this more true than in the Spider-Man films, in which the villains are working-class people who have been screwed over by the machinations of Tony Stark. They're bad because they're the bad guys, never mind that Tony used his influence to steal contracts away from the Vulture's small business. Vulture's the bad guy because Tony's a good guy. Never mind that Tony has built a more efficient killer satellite system than the one Hydra was bad for wanting to build in Winter Soldier. Mysterio's the bad guy, wanting to get revenge on a boss who belittled and stole from him, and Spider-Man doesn't even question Tony's system. Heck, after the first Iron Man, the plot of the first Iron Man is that Tony promises to stop building military weapons. Which he never does, he just starts hoarding them instead. So Infinity War, the villain is a bad understanding of Christianity. But the heroes are hardly a good version of it. Marcel Brown's piece goes so far as to call the techno-occult union that is the Avengers team a stand-in for all modernism. Which, as I discussed with Stephen Goldmeyer in our Groundhog Day episode means, in this usage, anything that tries to loosen the stranglehold of conservative, patriarchal, heteronormative Christianity. No one in the film even tries to reason with Thanos, to imagine bigger than him. It's a common complaint about the movie to point out that if Thanos had the apparent ability to rewrite reality 
with as many clauses in his sentence as he's liked. Perhaps a better plan than wiping out half of humanity would be to just double the current amount of resources. Our heroes never even think of that. But in fact, they can't argue that. Because the movie's villain isn't Malthus himself. Thanos is right. As far as the movie is concerned, at least. As Malthus would point out, increasing resources would just increase the population all the faster. And indeed, the series as a whole may even argue that subtly. The post-snapped world is hardly half-empty. And arguably, Far From Home's world may even feel too full. Furthermore, Thanos' Malthusian ideology is based on his own observations shown in the film, and thus unquestionable reality as far as the film's concerned. So even suggesting that we increase resources is to play into the Malthusian narrative. Acknowledging scarcity means Malthus was right. While Jesus' response to scarcity was to feed 5,000 with five loaves and bread and two fish, or to find money in the mouth of a fish, ultimately the point of these stories is to reject the idea of scarcity whole cloth. The kingdom of God, which Jesus teaches his followers to pray and work for on the present earth, is one where scarcity is abolished, where you can buy good things like milk and wine without money. Heck, money's so worthless they use it to pave the streets. We don't need miracles or infinity stones to work that out, though we may very well need to rewrite our understanding of reality. Scarcity is a myth. We have enough for everyone. That is, what we have is enough for everyone. Malthus is wrong both in his conclusions and his assumptions. Certainly outside of divine intervention, resources are finite. But if justly distributed, there will always be enough. There's enough now. We must imagine bigger to make sure it goes around. We know, for instance, that the easiest solution to homelessness is to just give people homes. And we also know that there are about three times more empty homes than there are homeless individuals in the U.S. We function on the fear that immigration will strain our scarce resources, but we spend $775 per immigrant per day to imprison them. How is that not a strain on resources if letting them in would be? We know that 100 companies are responsible for 71% of planet-killing carbon output. But our solution to the species-wide existential threat isn't to undermine those companies' bottom line. But we still talk about overpopulation, particularly in non-Western countries, as if that's what's killing the planet, or plastic straws. Even as population has risen, so has the average daily calorie consumption around the world. We're producing more food as we produce more people. And we're even eating much of it, even as thousands, if not millions of tons goes to waste. Obviously, not everyone's getting what they need. We don't have a scarcity problem. We have a distribution problem. To fix it will mean firmly and finally renouncing the myths of Malthus will also require us to reject the hero's solution of revenge, of their understanding of justice and a just world. Dream bigger as we rewrite society. 
We don't need to accept the current state of things. We must also reject the assumptions that led us here to begin with. We have the resources necessary to build a longer table instead of a higher fence. To greet everyone seeking stability with the Mountain Goat's mantra. Come on in. We haven't slept for weeks. Drink some of this. It'll put color in your cheeks. But don't worship Thanos and his ilk. And don't emulate Tony Stark either. We've got to press on for something new. For a truly inclusive kingdom. A kingdom. Thank you for listening. Cinema Credo. I'm Adam Glass. Thank you for listening to Cinema Credo, Conversations on Film and Faith. I'm your host and writer, Adam Glass. Film clips this week are used under fair use. Thank you to Steve Richter for the use of our theme song, Madrasita, off of his album, Beloved. Check out his work at steverichter.com. That's S-T-E-E-V-R-I-C-H-T-E-R.com. com.